0: to teach you the depth of his word. Enjoy the study. All right, good morning, everybody. We're going to dive in to the greatest book ever written, the Bible. It's going to be awesome. Uh, Let's open up with a word of prayer, and we'll get started here. Lord, we thank you again for this time together. God, we just pray that as we open up your word, which is the foundation for our entire lives, that, Lord, you would speak to us in a mighty way, that, God, you would use your word to wash over our minds, to transform our minds, to transform our lives, to shape us and mold us, Lord, as the perfect craftsman that you are. And, God, I pray that your word would refine us and that, Lord, in this year, in 2024, as we walk that, Lord, your word would burn away anything in our lives that should not be there. And we thank you for this time together, and we worship you, King Jesus. Teach us by the anointing of your Holy Spirit. In your name we pray, amen. 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 All right, so Zechariah 12, you know, this starts the, the next section of Zechariah, and the last three chapters, 12, 13, and 14, all chronicle the second coming of Christ. And what's going to be pretty fascinating today is chapter 12 covers the siege in Jerusalem and what's going on there. And let's see if I can get this working. The siege in Jerusalem. And what's happening is the siege of Jerusalem is being set up, and Jesus returns to take, to wipe it out, right? The armies of the world are gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed, and he returns and wipes out all of these armies. Well, the book opens up in one verse and describes who Jesus is. And what I wanna do today is stay on this one verse of what God declares, because there's so much in this one verse, and it's so deep. And it's all over the Bible of what the Lord declares about our King, about Jesus. And so as we're diving in here, hopefully, I don't know if this is working or not. This may not work, Cody. I'll give you the thumbs up. Okay, just go to the next slide. (laughs) And what the Lord's declaring here is that Jesus is the creator. And it's going to be pretty remarkable because in this one verse, there are three attributes of the Lord that are described. And we're going to study those throughout the Bible, these three attributes of God. And so anyway, I'm going to give up on this in just a second. We'll see if this works. No. Okay. You guys just get, get me. Um, all right. So the the timeline, Zechariah. We've been studying Zechariah now for a while. We've made it all the way to chapter 12. And remember on this timeline, the Lord declares, the Old Testament timeline, the Lord from the beginning of creation to the end of the Old Testament, this this helps give you an idea of when each book the Lord wrote throughout time, from creation until the close of the Old Testament. And Zechariah is all the way at the end, the post-exile. So the children of Israel have gone off to Babylon. Cyrus then, and Persia conquer Nebuchadnezzar's grandson in Babylon, and they take over the nation And they disperse and they actually give financial incentives to the children of Israel to return and rebuild the temple. And a very, very small percentage of them actually take Cyrus up on it and go back and rebuild the temple. It's a small group of people. And remember when we were studying that, there's a lesson there for you and I. That when the Lord, a lot of times in your life, the Lord's going to tell you to move and go do something. There are very, very few times, if you study everyone in the Bible, most of them are moving a lot. They're going somewhere, go over here, go do this, go speak to this people. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you're moving geographically. Sometimes it can be, but a lot of times the Lord says, move or go do something. And today in our world, very, very few Christians actually take that leap of faith and go out there and start moving and trying to find a way to serve the king in a, in a better way. So on this timeline, I hope that helps, but it's really, really neat when you look at how the Lord lays out the, the books of the Bible compared to, and you overlay it with what's going on in the world. So in any case, Zechariah. Zechariah is, is the most messianic book in the Old Testament by, by far. It's not even close. And when you look at Everything the Lord declares in, in Zechariah, he speaks of Jesus in so many ways. He speaks of him as the stone with seven eyes, which is a link to Revelation. Now remember, as you're studying the Bible, Psalms 40, verse seven, in the volume of the book, it is written of me, Jesus declared. First person singular. And so you've got to read the entire Bible with the lens of somehow this speaks of Jesus. You've just got to figure out how. And when you do that, you will never look at the word of God the same. Um, God speaks of his throne, Jesus being crowned, Jesus the Nazarene, the king riding on a donkey from Zechariah 9.9. And of course, we see that in the New Testament fulfilled from Daniel and Zechariah when Jesus returns. The Lord speaks of him as the shepherd, his betrayal, we studied that in chapter 11, uh, how much the betrayal was for, 30 pieces of silver, what they did with the money, and the, the silver of blood, the coins of blood, right? They bought a field and called it the field of blood in the New Testament. Here in chapter 12, we're going to see Jesus being pierced or crucified. And it's not in today's verse, but later on in the chapter, as we close out chapter 12, we're going to study about how they look upon him whom they have pierced when Jesus returns. And remember when Zechariah was written, crucifixion wasn't even invented yet. So pretty remarkable. And then finally in chapter 14, his return in power and destroying his enemies. So this outline here from Zechariah 1 all the way down through Zechariah 9 through 11. Remember, it starts out with chapter 1, verse 7, through chapter 6, verse 15. The Lord gives Zechariah 10 visions, and each of those visions occurred in one night, all in one setting. The Lord gave Zechariah all 10 of those. Then then you have this little interlude in chapter seven and eight where the Lord declares he's gonna return their feasts or fasts into feast days and take their mourning and their sorrow and turn it to joy. And then you've got nine through 11 are all about the first arrival of Christ and what he did the first time he showed up. And then now we're in that final part of the book, chapters 12 through 14, about the second arrival of Christ. Now, another way to look at this just to give you another outline to think about, each one of the chapters through Zechariah speaks of Jesus in a unique way. The writing one, the measuring one, the cleansing one, the empowering one, the judging one, the crowned one, the rebuking one, the restoring one, the kingly one, the blessing one, the shepherding one. Remember chapter 11 was all about the good shepherd versus the idle shepherd, the antichrist, at the end of that. And then now chapter 12, the returning one. Then 13, he'll be the smitten one. And 14, the reigning one. Pretty remarkable. It's all about Jesus throughout the book. Now, what we're barreling toward in, in Zechariah is the time when the Lord sets up the kingdom. And the kingdom where Jesus will sit as the angel promised, promised Mary that her son would sit on the throne of David. From Jerusalem. That's a ruling political throne. It's not spiritual. It's not in your heart. It's a ruling throne. Right now, what's pretty remarkable is Jesus has never sat on his throne. And if you study that closely throughout the Bible, God rightly divides that, that right now he's at the right hand of the Father. He's not on his throne yet, which is pretty remarkable if you think about that. Jesus' throne is in Jerusalem it's likely going to be the mercy seat from the Old Testament. And you could study about how the Ethiopians have a gift to deliver to the Messiah. And you see that in Acts, right? When he was showed up and he was crucified the first time and the treasurer from Ethiopia brings a gift and they realize, well, wait a minute. What do you mean the Messiah had to be killed? What did we miss here? And remember, he's reading Isaiah. And um, in Acts, it was, um, oh, who was trans raptured over to him. I'm trying to remember, it was Philip. Philip was raptured to him. And Philip explains to him out of Isaiah how the Messiah had to be killed first, then he would be back to rule and reign. And so there's a really, it's really deep when you study that. But the Jews also, they know that a kingdom will be set up. And you see this in Acts chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him saying, Lord, will thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And what I find fascinating is verse seven, Jesus said, and he said unto them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the father hath put in his own power. And just notice that Jesus never disputed the fact that a kingdom would be set up. All he said was it's not time, it's not for them to know the time that it'd be set up. And when you study that throughout the entire Bible, it's so clear that the Lord has a kingdom that he's gonna usher in from heaven starting in Revelation 19, and we are with him when we return. And so Zechariah 12, 13, and 14 is all about setting up that kingdom. Okay, it's going to set the staging ground. So chapter 12 in Zechariah prophetically is when all of the armies of the earth surround Jerusalem. They wanna wipe it off the map. And it's at the end of the tribulation, the Jews have been pushed to the brink of extinction, the armies of the world are gathered together, and this is where Zechariah will be a bone in the throat of the world, as God declared. And, and what's going on is the stage setting of the siege around the city, and the Lord is declaring in chapter 12, what happens, and that the, the king, the real king, is going to come back, and will the creation fight and make war against the Creator? That's the question. Will the creation say and take up arms against the creator? And I think that is a fascinating, fascinating fact that the world thinks they will knowingly take up arms against Jesus from Psalms 2 and all throughout the Bible. Willingly, they're willingly going to take up arms against our Lord and the one that created them, the one that holds their very atomic structure together as we covered last time. But the kingdom will then be established by power, not persuasion. Jesus is not coming back to go, all right, guys, if it's okay with you, I'm going to get this thing going. And if, if you're good with it, I'll, I'll usher in the kingdom. We can all live righteously and sin free and, and I'll, I'll reign for a thousand years in the millennial reign from Jerusalem on the earth. He doesn't do that. They're against him. They are making war against Christ. And you see that actually has been manifesting since the church was formed. I mean, just think about for most of the last 2,000 years, Christians have not lived at peace, harmony, and just kumbaya, you know, together. Most of the body of Christ for most of 2,000 years has been under immense persecution to the threat of murder and martyrdom. That's most of the body of Christ has lived there. You and I live in such a unique, blessed area of the world and in time. And do not ever take that for granted because there are a lot of people right now that are not able to do what we are doing right now. Most of the body of Christ gathers underground in tunnels and secret homes. I remember a missionary went over to China to bring a gift to a Chinese underground missionary church and they were preparing for service on Sunday. He was from the United States and it was like Saturday night he was staying at his the home with his host and he was like, "Well, so what time do I need to be ready to go to church in the morning?" And they're like, "Well, we don't know yet." "What do you mean you don't know? Where are we meeting?" "Well, we don't know that yet either." And and he was kind of it kind of took him back, right? "What do you mean? We don't have like 9:30 we're meeting at this address and we're we're all here to have coffee set up and And he said, oh no, we all just pray and the Holy Spirit in the morning shows us where to go and when to be there and how to get there. And that's exactly what happened. The Lord led all these different people to meet in the same spot because if they met in the same spot every Sunday at the same time, the Chinese government would just shut them down and take them all off to prison. And so the Lord works in a different way there, right? We don't, we are not living through that. And so the Lord works a little differently here. But Jesus, Jesus is going to come back and set that all straight to the point that if you don't come and worship him, uh, there's a punishment on your nation in the millennium. We've studied that a little bit, but this will finally be the start of the Davidic covenant from second Samuel seven. Now, when you study the Davidic covenant throughout the Bible, God has declared to David that his offspring will sit on the throne and have a kingdom established forever. Not just a little little bit of time, not for a thousand years, forever. The thousand year millennial reign starts that. Jesus doesn't just reign for the thousand years. The thousand years is him working out some things on the earth. And for us, it will be the start of eternity. For the people living through the tribulation, it will be the start of a thousand years on earth, then eternity for them afterwards. And we've studied that prophetically a lot. But look at 2 Samuel 7 verse 12. And when thy days be fulfilled and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build an house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. That's the Lord speaking of Jesus coming out of the bowels of David and establishing his throne forever. And so you have The Davidic covenant, there are a lot of covenants in the Bible. If you study this, the Abrahamic covenant is the land grant to Israel from the river Euphrates in Iraq to the river Nile in Egypt. God made that covenant with Abraham. There's no condition on it. And they will occupy all of that land at some point. They aren't right now, but they will. God God declared it. He confirmed it again to Isaac and Jacob And then to Moses and the 12 tribes and over and over. And even though it hasn't happened in our lifetime yet, doesn't mean it won't. And so you've got to take take God at his word. He means exactly what he says. You know, sometimes our, our distortion is, well, it hasn't happened quick enough. And we get impatient and we want things to speed up. Just be patient. All right, chapter 12 is going to present a lot of, there's a lot of material in chapter 12. And we're going to cover the opening verse today. But the world confederacy against Jerusalem, the victory of God's people empowered of the Lord, the conviction of Israel nationally by the spirit of God. Now that's going to be fascinating when we study that. The presentation of Christ as their rejected Messiah, the national day of atonement, the cleansing of the hearts of the nation and washing the house of David, the purging of the land from idolatry and false prophets, that will finally happen. The fact that the Lord was crucified, the one whom they pierced, the time of Jacob's trouble, the partial success of the nations invading Israel and besieging Jerusalem, the appearance of the Messiah for his people, their rescue and his second coming with the saints from Revelation 19, the, the changed and renovated Holy Land, the establishment of the Messianic kingdom, the punishment of the nations, For their frugal assault upon Israel. Pretty amazing. The celebration of the kingdom feast, the feast of tabernacles, and the complete restoration of the people of God, the nation of Israel, to be a holy nation once again. Okay, so here's the verse we're going to cover. Verse 1 today. It opens up and says, The burden of the word of the Lord. Now, anywhere you see in the Bible that there's a burden that God says something in his word and he opens it up with the burden the burden of the word of the lord this is something heavy it's a burdensome stone okay now think about remember what the lord said in terms of with jesus okay those that fall on the stone shall shall basically be blessed remember he's a he's like a a, a stone that grinds to powder those that don't yield to him. So a burdensome stone, this is a burden of the word of the Lord for Israel. Now notice it says for Israel, not for the church, not for us. Saith the Lord, so here are the three attributes, saith the Lord, which stretcheth forth the heavens, layeth the foundation of the earth and formeth the spirit of man within him. Now these three attributes, God alone holds these three attributes, no one else. And again, with this in mind, just think about, can you imagine being one of the military personnel or the armies that come together and wrap yourselves and surround Jerusalem and think, this is gonna work out great. <laughs> we're, gonna, we're gonna take this city and kill this creator God. And, and I love how God starts out with these three attributes Before the siege of Jerusalem, this is who you're besieging against. The one that stretched forth the heavens. Okay, the stretching forth the heavens, you know, God stretched them out like a tent. So we're going to study that today. He alone laid the foundation of the earth. You know, what that is talking about is pouring or laying a foundation. God's the master builder. Jesus is. He also formed the spirit of man within each of us. So he stretched out, he poured or laid something, laid the foundation, and then he formed on that foundation, the spirit of man. Just think through that a little bit. And God did this all. He did this all by the word of his mouth and the, and the span of his hand. I think I've got that verse in here. But the three participles in this structure in the Hebrew they all emphasize that God is sustaining constantly his creation. You kind of miss that in the English, but in the Hebrew, what it's saying is that he does all of these things, and then he alone, from Colossians 1.16, by him all things consist or are held together. He's sustaining that creation. He's holding it all together. So he did all of this, and he alone is keeping it intact, and he's keeping it intact for our benefit and because he wants a relationship with us. Look at Isaiah 42 verse 5, thus saith the Lord God, he that created the heavens and stretched them out, he that spread forth the earth and that which cometh out of it, he that giveth breath unto the people upon it and spirit to them that walk therein. So again, it's that same, that same language. He's stretched out. He formed the breath inside the people. He wants to walk with them through that creation. Now, these three attributes of God are also repeated in Hebrews chapter 1. It's 10 through 12, and it's all a quote from Psalms 102. So let's look at this. And thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thine hands. Now, this, starting in Hebrews 110, it's all a quote from Psalms 102, Verses 25 through 27. Of old hast thou laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of thy hands. They shall perish, the heavens. The heavens shall perish, but thou shalt endure. Yea, all of them shall wax old like a garment, and as a vesture shalt thou change them. Now, this is, this is fascinating. These are, these are not just poetic words. And they shall be changed, but thou art the same, and thy years shall have no end. Now, you and I were not there the first time Jesus did this. We will be there the second time when he rolls up space and changes it like a garment. And that's all at the end of Revelation, at the end of the millennial reign of Christ for those thousand years. Okay, he laid the foundations of the earth. Look at Job 38. The end of Job is one of my favorite chapters actually in the Bible. When you go through this whole book and this poor guy, right? This poor guy, he, there was none more righteous than him. God even declared to Satan. And then God lets Satan have his way with him for a while. But remember, he sets up boundaries. Okay, you can go take all that he has, but you can't touch him. And God set the bounds of that spiritual warfare. And Satan had to obey and stay within those bounds. Then memory comes back and Satan says, well, of course he's still worshiping you. He's, he's got his health. Even though he lost all of his wealth, he lost his children, everything that happened to him, he's still worshiping you because he's got his health. Remember God then says, okay, you can take his health, but you can't kill him. And God tightened the boundary some. Now, a lot of Christians struggle with that book because they're thinking, why do bad things happen to good people? And as you read that book, it's apparent at the end of it that Job had something in his life that God needed to work out. And you see that finally in the discourse when God shows up out of the whirlwind and gives Job the science lesson, right, the quiz. And then what happens though, everything is restored to him double because God made it all right and put it all back together again. And it's, a, it's an extreme example, but what it should do in your life is encourage you That anything, if you are in Christ, anything that comes before you is father filtered. And keep that in mind because a lot of times you go through trials and tribulations and things are happening in your life and God did not come to steal, kill, or destroy, but he is raising a family and a father chastens whom he loves from Hebrews. And so look at Job 38, four through seven. Where was thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare if thou hast understanding. Who hath laid the measures thereof, if thou knowest? Or who hath stretched the line upon it, whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened? Or who laid the cornerstone thereof, when the morning stars, those are angels, the morning stars, the Banihe Elohim, sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. The morning stars and sons of God. So the angels cheered when the earth was created. That's one way you know they were created before Genesis 1-1 and when, how you also know Satan rebelled right in between Genesis 1-1 and 1-2. And then that's why the earth is without form and void and it's confused because Satan's rebellion led to a judgment from Jeremiah 4. And then God, by the spirit of the living God, had to put it all back together again and create man to have dominion over it. But you know, when God speaks, creation moves. So Isaiah 48:13, mine hand also hath laid the foundation of the earth, and my right hand hath spanned the heavens. When I call unto them, they stand up together. You know, so creation, he he speaks and it moves by the word of God. That's amazing that Jesus can speak and all of creation moves. Now he created it all by his word and with a nine inch span. That's the distance from your pinky to your thumb. Okay, that's about nine inches. So when you see in the Bible, when they declare a span, it's about that distance. Okay, and look at Isaiah 40 verse 12. Who hath measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and meted out heaven with the span, the span, the span of his hand. So he measured out the waters. He fit all of the waters of the earth in the hollow of his hand. And then he spread it out with a span of his hand. That's incredible. And, and it should also tell you that it's not like Jesus, you know, if he's got a nine-inch span on his hand, it's not like he's, you know, some some giant. He's a man. He became a man like you and I for us. It's just incredible. Okay, and comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains and scales and the hills in a balance. Okay, he was also slain before the foundation of the world in Revelation 13, eight. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So he was slain before that. You can go ahead, Cody. Okay, the foundations of the earth can be out of order. All right, Psalms 82, verse 5, they know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. Now, remember in the tribulation, God actually takes the earth and moves it out of its place, out of its orbit. He moves it out, and he likely, probably tilts the axis again, like he did in the days of Noah, which is why we have ice caps. Uh, The earth... The earth's axis should be straight up and down. And if it were, we would have a universal temperature like before the flood of Noah. But he tilted the earth and that's part of how the waters overflowed the entire earth. The oceans were, sha- were shook basically when he did that. And if you thought the earthquakes the other day were felt bad, just imagine when Jesus himself with that nine inch span takes the earth and just moves it out of orbit And it's wobbling around, according to Isaiah, like a drunkard. And it's just moving around. That's why they don't know the time in the tribulation. They don't know the day nor the hour because there's no consistency to the sun rising and setting. Uh, It's also why the Antichrist seeks to change times and seasons from Daniel. Because time is different then. Uh, We won't be able to track it. Okay, so the bounds of the sea were established when the foundations were appointed. That's from Proverbs 8.29 when he gave to the sea his decree that the waters should not pass his commandment when he appointed the foundations of the earth. You know, so don't, don't worry about rising tides or you know, global warming, ice caps melting, anything like that. Proverbs says he's, de, he's made a decree and set the bounds of the sea that they should not pass. And sure enough, high tide and low tide is pretty much in the same place uh, for as long as we've been tracking it. Now, this is an engineering statement that appointed the foundations of the earth because when you design it, when you design a foundation, you design it for a load in every direction, vertical, horizontal, any stress, any overturning moment on it. If any of you had statics or dynamics in college, you have an overturning moment. But God designed the foundations of the earth for that. And they're going to shake, according to Isaiah 24, verse 18, and it shall come to pass that he who fleeth from the noise of the fear shall fall into the pit. And he that cometh up out of the midst of the pit shall be taken in the snare. For the windows from on high are open and the foundations of the earth do shake. The earth is utterly broken down. The earth is clean dissolved. The earth is moved exceedingly. The earth shall reel to and fro like a drunkard. That's what I was referencing a minute ago. And shall be removed like a cottage. And the transgression thereof shall be heavy upon it. And it shall fall and not rise again. Now that's pretty fascinating. That all happens during the tribulation. So we need to fear the one who laid the foundation of the earth. Isaiah 51, 12. Even I, even I am he that comforteth you. Who art thou that thou shouldest be afraid of a man that shall die. Now that should be encouraging to you. You know, no matter what man brings before you, you know, who is that man that you should fear him? A man that simply will just die. I, I think that's really neat how God puts things in perspective a lot. You know, remember what Jesus said, fear the one that can cast your soul into hell. Fear that one. That's who you should fear. And if you can this year, do a deep dive study on the fear of the Lord. It's, it's remarkable. Just go into Blue Letter Bible Type in "fear of the Lord" and study every verse that shows up. You'll have a much better understanding of what he means by the fear of the Lord. Okay, in verse thirteen here, and forgettest the Lord, thy Maker, that hath stretched forth the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth. What I want you all to get is God uses these same attributes all over the Bible. This again, this is not just poetry. He literally stretched out the heavens, and we're gonna see this in a few of these other verses in a minute, and has feared continually every day because of the fury of the oppressor, as if he were ready to destroy. And where is the fury of the oppressor? Now, God's promise to Israel is tied to the foundation of the earth. This is fascinating. Look at Jeremiah thirty-one thirty-seven. Thus saith the Lord, if heaven above can be measured and the foundations of the earth searched out beneath I will also cast off all the seed of Israel for all that they have done, saith the Lord. So if you and I could get somehow to the foundation of the earth and measure it, then he would disregard Israel, which is one way, and he's not going to do that, which is one way you know that we'll never find it. So that's, that's pretty fascinating. Micah 6 verse 2, hear ye, O mountains, the Lord's controversy, And ye strong foundations of the earth for the Lord hath a controversy with his people and he will plead with Israel. So again, he has a controversy with Israel. He will move them out if you and I can discover and find the foundations of the earth. Psalms 104 verse five, who laid the foundations of the earth that it should not be removed forever. Thou coverest it with the deep as with a garment. The water stood above the mountains. Now, that should give you a hint. The water stood above the mountains. When did that happen? At thy rebuke, they fled. At the voice of thy thunder, they hastened away. They go up by the mountains. They go down by the valleys unto the place which thou hast found for them. Remember in Lucifer's flood in between Genesis 1, 1 and 1, 2, God rebuked the waters. He took them back. They flooded the earth and it's the, the flood mentioned in Peter when the earth was standing in the water and out of the water. Remember Noah's flood, every mountain was covered. There was no earth out of the water. So that's how you know it's two different events. But God rebuked the waters. In Noah's flood, he put them, and remember he divided the waters after Lucifer's flood. He, di- he divided the waters. In Noah's flood, he put the waters back where they should go. So there's a, a difference there for you. Okay. In Job 26, starting in verse seven, he stretcheth out the north over the empty place and hangeth the earth upon nothing. It is pretty fascinating when you look at the pictures from outer space and you see the earth just hanging there upon nothing. Isn't that fascinating? And God declared that in Job 26, long before, long before we ever had any pictures to show that he bindeth up the waters in his thick clouds and the cloud is not rent under them. You know, think about how much water weighs and he puts the water in the clouds when it rains like it's supposed to later today. And yet the cloud somehow still stays in air and it floats. Isn't that amazing? You think about how heavy water is and he bindeth up the the waters in his thick clouds and the clouds is not rent under them. In Job 26 verse eight, he holdeth back the face of his throne And spreadeth his cloud upon it. He hath compassed the waters with bounds until the day and night come to an end. The pillars of heaven tremble and are astonished at his reproof. He divideth the sea with his power, and by his understanding he smiteth through the proud. Now that's pretty remarkable, because by his understanding he smiteth through the proud. Now the heavens are the works of his hands and declare his glory. Remember Psalms 19, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Now, God is making a reference here. If you've never studied this to the Matzeroth in the Hebrew, our 12 constellations that Satan has taken and twisted into what we know today as the Zodiac, they actually were placed there by God to declare his glory and they lay out the gospel from the the virgin Virgo to the lion of the tribe of Judah, Leo the lion, as we call it today. They actually lay out the gospel in the stars. And that's what God declared in Psalms 19 verse 1. And unfortunately, like everything that God does, Satan takes it and twists it into something evil, to to fortune-telling and horoscopes. And it's all demonic, you know, is how he's twisted it. And And he puts pagan Babylonian names with it. But if you go back to the roots of it, it lays out the entire gospel of Jesus from a virgin to come and be born and to die for us to the line of the tribe of Judah coming back to rule and reign. And that's pretty cool. So if you ever if you've ever studied that, you can look up some things about the Hebrew Matsurof and how it was the gospel all the way back to the days of Adam. But in Job 31, Uh, verse chapter 38, verse 31. Canst thou bind the sweet influences of the Pleiades or loose the bands of Orion? Canst thou bring forth, and here it is, the Matsaroth in his season. So see, God has a reference to it in Job 38. Or canst thou guide Arcturus with his sons? Now, binding the sweet influences of the Pleiades in Job 38... That grouping of stars, it's a grouping of seven stars. stars—that It's the only grouping of stars in our galaxy that are bound together by gravity. Every other star is bound together by electromagnetism, not gravity. And we didn't discover that until around the 1500s. Uh, it, was, it was about 500 years ago they discovered that in science. And here he declared it all along. Can you bind those together yourselves? You know, isn't that so cool? Job is one of the neatest science books in the Bible. Okay, Psalms 97, verse six, the heavens declare that his righteousness and all the people see his glory. You know, creation alone is enough to hold you and I accountable. And that's what Romans one is all about. Romans one answers the question, right? Every Christian's asked this question. What do you do with the guy that's on a deserted island that's never heard the name of Jesus before? How, how is he held accountable if he hasn't heard the gospel? Well, according to God's word, he has through creation. And creation alone is enough to hold man accountable. Because even these ancient tribes and people, when you go and talk to them, they'll talk about creator God. And they know, they know that someone had to put all this together. And the heavens declare his righteousness for God is judge himself in Psalms 50 verse 6. Okay, moving on here if you, I put this picture in your notes, you know, the heavens declare the glory of God. Now these are spiral galaxies that you can see with a telescope out, out in space in the Milky Way. And if you look at A through F, they're actually in order of how close to how far away they are to earth. So item A is 2 million light years away. Item F is 106 million light years away. And it's in between those two time periods uh, for B through E. So now if you look at this, the spirals are all about the same though. Now, how could that be? So if one of these is only 2 million light years away, which means it takes 2 million years for you and I to see the light that we're looking at when you look through it, the light you see had to have been traveling for 2 million years at the speed of light. The other one took 106 million light years. Now, how could that be? So if the spiral galaxies have the same, see the twist, how the arms are coming out. So if they have the same twist, this is a hint to tell you that the speed of light had to be faster, exponentially faster a long time ago. If it weren't, then you and I, the one that's, that's further away would be a lot tighter because it would take so much longer for the light to get here. The one that is closer would be way more fanned out. Does that make sense? I hope you guys are tracking with me on this. So it'd be way more fanned out if it was closer because you'd see the twist more of the light traveling. So this is one way, you know, and and there's an Australian scientist that discovered this named Barry Sutterfield. He discovered that the speed of light has been slowing down over time. It's not a constant. And in engineering school, we were taught it was a constant. But you now it's slowing down very gradually and it takes a long time for it to slow down. But at the time of Abraham, is probably thousands of times faster than today. And it could explain a lot in the physics of the Old Testament for the longevity of life, the way the earth was, all of those things. So I just think that's fascinating. But the heavens declare the glory of God. Okay, in Hebrews uh, verse 11 here, they shall perish but thou remainest and they shall wax old as doth a garment. So the heavens perishing ultimately, this is in second Peter three, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements melt with a fervent heat. So remember Jesus is holding it all together. And when he lets go, those heavens will melt away and he's going to roll them up like a garment. And put them aside, and you and I get to watch Jesus create yet again for a new heaven and a new earth. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? That's a sobering verse if you think about it. Looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of, the, of God, wherein the heavens bring being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat. Do you know that you can hasten the coming of, the, of Jesus? Hastening the coming of the day of God. I think that's pretty fascinating. So how do you hasten it? Well, get people saved and in the ark for, for starters. Uh, but the heavens will tremble and shake in Joel 2, verse 10. The earth shall quake before them. The heavens shall tremble. The sun and the moon shall be dark, and the stars shall withdraw their shining Now look at what Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, shall the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give her light. And the stars shall fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. And they'll be shaken because he's going to roll them up. Look at these verses. He's stretched out the heavens. He alone who stretches out the heavens in Job 9, 8 So he spread out the heavens like a tent curtain. He laid the stakes of it. Now we know that that spreading out is about six billion light years from modern physics. That's what they've discovered from right now to the edge of heaven. It's about that far. I think that's pretty fascinating too. But stretching out the heaven like a tent curtain in Psalms 104 verse 2. Look at that. Who coverest himself, thyself with light as with a garment who stretches out the heavens like a curtain. These are all physics statements. I just want all of you to get, when you're reading this in your Bible, I want you to realize the gravity and the science behind what God is saying. These aren't just you know, poetic things. This is, he's the master builder that did this. He stretched out the heavens in Jeremiah 10, verse 12, and he established the world by his wisdom, and he had stretched out the heavens by his discretion. Okay, so look at 2 Samuel 22. Now we won't read all of these. We're running out of time here. But I put these in your notes. So when you go through this, when Jesus comes back, look at some of these attributes. Let's just look in the middle here, starting in verse 11. And he rode upon a cherub and did fly, and he was seen upon the wings of the wind, and he made darkness pavilions round about him. This is when Jesus returns the second time, dusk, dark waters and thick clouds of the skies, though the brightness before him were coals of, the, of fire kindled, the Lord thundered from heaven and the most high uttered his voice and he sent out arrows and scattered them, lightning and discomfited them and the channels of the sea appeared. The foundations of the world were discovered, okay, so at some point they will be discovered, But that happens when Jesus returns at the rebuking of the Lord, at the blast of the breath of his nostrils. So when he, the siege that sets up in Zechariah 12 that we're gonna study next week, that whole siege, the creator rides in and he unfolds the foundations of the earth. Darkness is about him because he's going to war. He's not coming to bring light. He's going to war and we're gonna be with him and there's gonna be thundering and lightnings and smoke and fire. And Jesus rides in and just melts away those armies. It's not even really a war. It's a staging ground. But he stretched out the heavens and then at the end of the thousand year reign, Jesus folds them up. Look at Job 37 verse 18. Hast thou with him spread out the sky, which is strong, and as a molten looking glass? In Psalms 18 verse eight, There went up a smoke out of his nostrils and fire out of his mouth devoured. Coals were kindled by it. He bowed the heavens or bent them. He rolled them up. He bowed them and came down. That's all in Revelation 19 when he splits heaven. And darkness was under his feet and he rode upon a cherub and did fly. Remember all through the Old Testament, he's the one that sits between the cherubim upon the wings of the wind In Psalms 144, verse 5, bow bow the heavens, O Lord, and come down. Touch the mountains, and they shall smoke. And we see that when he returns. In Isaiah 44, verse 42, thus saith the Lord, my Redeemer, and he that formed thee from the womb, I am the Lord that maketh all things, that stretcheth forth the heavens alone, and spreadeth abroad the earth by myself. In Isaiah 45, verse 12, I made the earth and created man upon it, I, even my hands have stretched out the heavens and all their host have I commanded. So he's stretched out by the glory above the cherubim. The, the space is above that. That's pretty amazing. Ezekiel 1 verse 22. Okay, moving on to the next, next slide here. Okay, space is not empty. So he's going to roll it up. It can be torn from it, according in Isaiah 64.1. It can be worn out like a garment in Psalms 102 verses 25 through 26. It can be shaken in Hebrews 12. It will be shaken with the earth in Haggai 2, six, and on. Now, because you and I, we think of heaven as like this empty void that's just a vacuum. But space is actually not empty. One cubic meter of space has more energy than 100 million suns integrated for 100 million years. Now, if you're, if you're mathematically minded, remember when you take an integral you all remember that from college, and you do integration and how it unfolds out. So a sun for a hundred million years, a hundred million of those, the energy that those hundred million suns would produce for a hundred million years is how much energy is in one cubic meter of space. Just think about that. That is wild. It's called zero point energy. Uh, if you want to look that up, but it's, space is not empty. It's vi- it's it's fascinating of what God put out there. But the earth will be moved and it will be shaken according to Isaiah thirteen thirteen. It will be burned up, space will, in 2 Peter three twelve. It can be split apart in Revelation six fourteen. That The heavens will depart. Jesus will split them apart. It can be rolled up like a scroll in Isaiah 34, verse 4. And all the host of heaven shall be dissolved and the heavens shall shall be rolled up together. So, you know, you think about the three and a half dimensions we live in. Heaven being rolled up means there's got to be somewhere else for it to be rolled up into. Okay, it's like this sheet of paper that's two-dimensional, in order for me to roll it up, there has to be a third dimension for it to go up to. Do you see what I'm saying? And so the three dimensions of space... There's got to be a fourth, a fifth, a sixth dimension, however many, for Jesus to roll it into. And when you and I come back with him, he sets up the kingdom for a thousand years. And at the end of that, in Revelation 22, I looked and behold a new heaven and a new earth. And Jesus is going to put it all back together again and roll up space as we see it and just unfold those dimensions. And we're going to get to live for eternity with him as he intended all along. And all of that, God is declaring to these armies that are trying to besiege Jerusalem before he comes back that he did all of this. He created it all. And look at you all trying to take up arms and war against me. Uh, it's, a, it's a beautiful, beautiful poetic thing for God to declare all of that throughout his word. And he means it literally. It's just, a, it's fascinating. Okay, so to close up here, you know, there is a, there's a lot, as I mentioned in the announcements, there's a lot going on in 2024, right? The world seems to be like just burgeoning and at this tipping point and there's all this stuff going on. The rise of China, uh, their economic collapse could lead to some, some weird things because they're not stable right now. Russia rising up, The war is continuing in Israel. Um, Iran, like I mentioned, trying to attack U.S. people and and U.S. ships in the Red Sea. And all of this going on, and there seems to be like this shaking, right, happening. And then we had the earthquakes here uh, that shook pretty good. But the key for us right now, as you see all of this, is to make sure that you're living a life that cannot be shaken, And that's all in Hebrews 12, 25 through 29, because when the Lord speaks and he shakes things up, you want to make sure your house is built on the solid rock that is Christ and maintain that. And no matter what the world throws at us this year, you've got to stay strong and keep your house and your family and your relationships all built on that foundation, because It is the only thing in our world that is unshakable. And a lot can be torn down, but your relationship and what Jesus did for us cannot. Praise God. And I'm so thankful that He gives us the opportunity to build on that house. So if you're watching this, if you're here today and you're not saved, you've got to first be born again. Be born again. And then, according to 1 Corinthians 3, you will be able to build on that foundation that is Christ and build a life that is glorifying to Him. And to do that's so simple. Romans ten nine that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. It is so simple, and you will forever be born again, never to be separated from your Messiah, and the one that did stretch out the heavens, the one that did speak it into existence. And the one, the one whom each of us has to do according to Hebrews and the one that the world wants to take up arms against. So get on the right side, get on the good guy side. You, you wanna be on that side before he, he melts space literally with his mouth. <laughs> you wanna make sure you're there, I promise. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for this time together. God, I thank you so much for your word that is just inexhaustible. God, I thank you so much for putting this all together for us. I thank you that the heavens declare the glory of God. I thank you that Lord, we can step out at night and look up and just see how you hung the stars in the sky and you know every one of their names. And that Lord, even in that you see us, you see us and you want a relationship with us. And God, I pray that in this new year, that this would bring a sense of urgency for each of us to be deep in the word of God and to study and to find ourselves approved, a workman that should not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth from 2 Timothy. So Lord, thank you again for this time together as a family, as we study around your word. Now be with us in the week ahead, God. In Jesus' matchless name we pray, amen.